What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 12 of the Mishmash Podcast. Today, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Danny Cherick, an amazing nutrition coach and SEO marketing client success manager, to discuss her channel, Food Fuels Growth, and her work in the field of nutrition. As a quick background of my relationship to the field, I've always struggled with making the right choices when it comes to food and nutrition, and it has affected everything from my weight and physical appearance to my mental health and self-esteem, something that, unfortunately, I think is common to a lot of people. I always knew that I was making bad decisions, but I was never able to accept my own agency when it came to them. I would constantly blame external environmental factors, my crazy schedule with the kids and their sports, not having the time to prepare healthy meals, writing off a healthier lifestyle as one that was too expensive and thus unattainable. Again, excuses that I believe many people in our country make every day. Then, I met Danny and discovered her phenomenal Food Fuels Growth channel. Now, I've always been active when it comes to fitness. It's been an integral part of my life since I was 14, but I don't think I've ever maximized the returns on the exercise I was engaging in, specifically because of my poor food and drink choices. When I was in high school, I was playing a minimum of 30 to 40 hours a week of basketball, working out at the gym another dozen or so hours, and then walking and biking a lot. I was also a teenager, so my metabolism was through the roof. I could eat literally anything and still come away a few pounds lighter. Once the college years rolled around, though, I found my commute skyrocketing from a meager 10 to 15 minute bus ride to, at times, a 90 minute or even two hour one. The long treks from South Brooklyn into the city, coupled with the strain and stresses of coursework, plotting out a professional career, and dealing with other life things, had me strung out. While I clearly no longer had the time to exercise as much as I did only a few months earlier, I definitely had ample time at least to maintain a decent level of fitness. The mental and emotional stress that I was going through, though, made working out seem suddenly like a stressor unto itself, and so I found myself going to the gym less frequently, and worse, giving in to those desires for feel-good food far too often. Some people talk about putting on the freshman 15, but for me, it was more like the freshman 40 or 50. It was terrible. I hated how I looked, how I felt, and the very real impact it was having on my energy level. Despite all of that, I had to funnel my attention towards other more important and pressing concerns. And that's just where food is concerned. I haven't even factored in the impact that alcohol had with all the sugar-laden empty calories of mixed drinks and eventually beer and whiskey. I made a modicum of improvement after Heather and I got married, but still, between 2007 and 2010, I was still eating terribly, not working out nearly enough, or at least not consistently enough, and I was still suffering the internal effects. Things finally bottomed out in early 2013. It was just after the end of January, and I was at my all-time highest weight. The combination of far too much snacking and junk food, a surfeit of fast food, a copious amount of booze, and an utter lack of exercise of any variety had me in a really bad spot. I remember looking at Tim and Sarah, then barely three years and six months old respectively, and thinking about how much life they had ahead of them, and how badly I wanted to be there to see it all. I finally admitted to myself that my decision-making wasn't just impacting me, but it would potentially hurt them as well if I didn't make a change. I had previously completed the Beachbody P90X program and had lost a significant amount of weight, but ultimately, because of the horrible nutrition choices I continued to make, I gained it all back and then some. I knew I needed to do something that would be a lifestyle change, not just a new workout to try. As mortifying as it is to admit this, I had overheard several of the mothers at the nursery school pickup and drop-off discussing a program called Couch to 5K that they had used to shed their baby weight. I figured that, 
Even if I wasn't actually pregnant, I sure looked like I was. And if it could work for them, then why not me too? I started the C to 5K program on February 6, 2013, and it was a moment I'll never forget. The workout required a brief, brisk warm-up walk, and then the running began. It was literally 60 seconds of jogging, followed by 90 seconds of walking. The cycle repeated for the duration of the 30 minutes, and then there was a cool-down walk at the end. At the 40-second mark of that very first run, I was breathing harder than I ever had before, except for one beach race over in Belmar, but that's a story for another day. By 50 seconds, with only 10 more to go, my brain was pleading with me to stop. My lungs were on fire, my legs were on fire, I thought I was going to pass out, and I realized I hadn't even made it one minute. I was so pathetically out of shape that I could not run a literal 60 seconds, and so I pushed myself to gut out those final few. That was my turning around moment, the instant when I had hit rock bottom and was finally heading in the right direction. I fell in love with running, ultimately peaking with a 14 and a quarter mile run on MLK Day in 2015. I guess I had a thing for cold weather back then. Anyway, I started to make more wholesale life changes around that time too, and I found myself in a much better place ever since. I got down below 200 pounds and stayed there even through the early parts of the pandemic. I've managed to hover only slightly above that mark since then, and all my physicals have come back with great grades across the board. Even still, I knew that I could and should be doing better. I've had the exercise component covered since 2013, so the two areas where I really needed to improve were drinking and eating. As far as the former goes, I scaled back dramatically, limiting myself to a maximum of two beers in one sitting, and doing that only two or three times a week, which basically left only the nutritional aspect as the culprit. In retrospect, what I was lacking was twofold, the motivation and the map. I found both of those thanks to Danny. Our sons were travel basketball teammates last fall and winter, and so our respective families wound up spending a considerable amount of time in proximity to one another. It wasn't until late in the season, though, that I really started to talk to her and her husband James. It was obvious that they were both in great shape and really took care of themselves and their kids. When Danny introduced me to her channel, though, it was like another epiphany. There was just something about the way she approached the topics of nutrition and parenting that resonated with me immediately. I saw myself and my kids as a parallel to her and her own, specifically with regards to having good communication about food choices and really just things in general. Where I really started to connect with her content, though, was when I saw just how much effort she puts into providing healthy nutritional meals all the time. See, that's been my problem. I'll eat quote-unquote healthy, but it'll last for a meal, or just sporadically. It's like one tiny drop of good nutrition in a bucket of slop. The Cherex, though, have healthy food options at the forefront of their dietary focus. On the Food Fuels Growth channel, I saw so many great posts and videos of Danny demonstrating how easy it is to incorporate your kids into the food prep process and to have meaningful dialogue with them regarding healthy foods and dietary decisions. In full disclosure, prior to finding her channel, I always thought of that healthy kind of lifestyle as being an anomaly, not something that was possible in normal, everyday life. I had built this image in my mind of a health food family, the ones who shopped exclusively at Whole Foods, who shunned not just fast food, but burgers, pizza, and anything in that realm, who judged other people for not shunning those things, and who just basically existed in this unattainable space. Clearly, that wasn't the case with the Cheriks. There was no smarmy predilection for overly obscure, expensive foodstuffs, no perfectly portioned, difficult-to-pronounce components comprising each meal. They were a normal family who just made different 
and in my opinion, better choices. The biggest revelation was that those choices were not difficult, just different. And I finally confronted myself about my own lifetime of poor nutritional decision-making. I owned up to the fact that I repeatedly made the wrong ones out of habit and laziness. I accepted that I was a slave to my impulses, going for the dopamine burst of a juicy burger and fries far too often when there were and are other alternatives that should become the default. I could go on for hours about the impact that the Cheriks have had on me and my family, but instead, let's jump into the discussion that I was fortunate enough to have with Danny earlier today. Today, my guest is Danny Cherik, client success manager and part-time nutrition coach. Danny, thanks so much for taking some time to come to the Mishmash podcast. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. So... Before we jump into the uh, the main conversation, I thought it'd be cool to give our listeners a little background about how you got involved with nutrition. I was curious too, if it was like a lifelong passion, if it was something you came to later in life. So if you can give us a little bit about that, I think that'd be great. Yeah, kind of a little bit of both. Honestly, nutrition and cooking have always been a big part of my life and definitely a big passion. It didn't hit me until semi-recently that I could actually use this as a part of my career, something that I really enjoy doing. And that's kind of what I did. I acted on that light bulb that just went off and decided to pursue a nutrition coaching certification. I I think it's important too, right? Because it's a worthy hobby to have if it stayed at that level, if it was just like a passion project or a personal pursuit. But I feel like when you make that leap to do something professionally, there's the financial benefit. But I also feel like there's more that goes to it. Obviously, your reach expands more so you can actually get in touch with more people. And I think it's just sort of like built in that it forces you not to take it more seriously, but it just flows differently, I think, when it's a job versus when it's just something you're doing for fun. Yeah. And they always say, you know, you should love going to work every day. You should love your job and and it should drive you to move forward and and do better. And that's kind of what this does for me. It just took me a while to say, oh, I could use this hobby as something I didn't never occurred to me that it could be a career. Now, and in terms of the hobby side of it, you have uh, social media channels that are connected to this or? Yes. So I started Food Fuels Growth Instagram and Facebook account. And for years, I was just posting recipes that I was trying or creating myself and posting them. And people really took to it. I always have friends or people that follow me on social media asking, how did you make that? Or what's in it? Can I have the recipe? And it's just Since the kids, you know, I have two kids and since they were babies, I'm talking like baby food and it kind of always, I always just shared it and eventually it it kind of grew from there. Well, so the, the kids are a great, uh, point here because that's actually how we met. Our sons were playing on the travel basketball team together Yeah, and that's what introduced me ultimately to your channel. And it's amazing to me because I've always been interested in fitness. I've fallen off a little bit on the nutrition side and It was one of those things that always bothered me in the back of my mind, but it was just something that I was doing well enough with it that I kind of overlooked the the deficiencies and stuff. Mm -hmm. And it didn't help that my really, really stringent doctor, his physicals, I think James goes to him too, your husband. So he knows knows about the famous Dr. Field physicals. He's the best. And I was getting, you know, great scores for the vitamins and, and, you know, nutrients and everything. You know, the the weight was the only thing that he was on, but like 
realistically for my frame it was fine and and but you know what i say that knowing that maybe he was right too you know that i probably could have made the change mm-hmm. i just knew that the change that was necessary to, to shed even five or ten more pounds was connected more to nutrition mm-hmm. and the nutrition was one of those things that i wasn't yet ready to make the leap until i found food fuels growth that was really the turning point for me. And I'm sure so many other people, you mentioned that like you had a lot of friends and family. I'm not surprised that they had the same reaction because if, if you could break through with me as stubborn <laughs> as I am, like that, that says a lot. So in terms of the content, you post recipes and really the, what I clicked with more was the advice mm-hmm. because I looked through the posts and the first thing that jumped out at me was I saw how involved your kids were with everything nutrition oriented, whether they were in the kitchen with you with meal prep Mm -hmm. or just pictures that you were sharing of something that you tried out cooking wise and you had them try out as well. How important would you say it is to have kids involved with the nutritional growth path that you're on? So important. And it's funny, something you said, it's all kind of connected. You know, when you say, you know, I was kind of like slacking off in the nutrition part of things. It's really nutrition. It comes with habit and having the kids in the kitchen and two words that really are are big for us is communication and habits. So for the kids, it's having them be a part of it, even if they're not physically helping making anything. It's just kind of what they're seeing and what they're hearing because they're paying attention more than they let on to be. And that's how I grew up. You know, I grew up with my dad always cooking in the kitchen and I wasn't always helping him really, but my parents always made our meals and I was really lucky that they were able to do that. And that's something that kind of, because I love it so much, I've carried on and my kids are always involved and I'm always kind of telling them, this is what I'm making. This is what we're going to try. And we make it fun. We make it a family thing and they're definitely involved. And I do think it's important. The, the shame of it is that I think there's this like misconception that it's two different worlds that are mutually exclusive, right? Like there's the healthy world, the healthy lifestyle, you know, the whole foods families, if you want to think of it that way, and then the rest of us. And that's mm-hmm. not, I mean, especially the changes that I've made in the past few months because of you and your channel, I'm living proof that that doesn't have to be the case. Clearly, there are some economic barriers when it comes to eating healthy, but that's also built an excuse. And I realized that too. Like I wasn't using that as an excuse, but I had other, other fallbacks and other, you know, reasons that tie more to what you said about habits. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's really what I think is not the, the core, but one of the core issues with nutrition in America, because it's awful. The, the, state, the obesity epidemic is such a drain on the healthcare system. And it's so, it causes mental health problems. There's so so much that comes from malnutrition. And so much of that malnutrition just comes from poor habits that are reinforced. Yep. You know, it's fast food is. <laughs> so when Heather and I started college, the freshman text that they gave us was a book called Fast Food Nation. I think it was Eric Schlesher. Schlesher. Okay. And to that point, I was a Burger King twice a week guy. McDonald's I didn't do, strangely enough. But like all the other ones. Oh, yeah. James too. Part of the reason why was I was playing for the four years leading up to to college, I was playing anywhere from 10 to 12 hours of basketball a day. Like Mm -hmm. that's what it averaged out to. It was like a full-time job. It was like 35, 40 hours a week of basketball. So the calories I was burning more than offset Mm -hmm. all the, the crap that I was putting in. But 
by the time I got to college, clearly that changed. <laughs> and then we, so we read this book and it was kind of like a, an expose of like the fast food industry. And I was horrified. Mm-hmm. I had no idea how these things were being made and produced. And I mean, to be fair, as, as a teenage kid, you don't really think of it like that. Oh, but, of course not. But then you start, it, that was really the genesis of me at least being more aware of my nutritional surroundings. Yeah. And um, in the city, just real quick, the mayor had changed a policy. I don't know. It was in like the early 2000s where now there were calorie counts and sugar content and stuff that were like forced to be out there. Yeah. That I know a lot of people complained about it. But for me, that was a game changer because I had no idea. The stuff I thought was quote unquote healthy was just as bad as, you know, the other stuff. And that's usually surprising for most people. So just a small example, a a restaurant like an Applebee's or Chili's or or something like that, people who are under-informed but trying to make the right decisions, they're kind of shooting themselves in the foot by not getting more informed because you get someone who goes and they see grilled chicken salad, right, Mm -hmm. on the menu and they say, oh, this is is great. I'm going to get the grilled chicken Caesar salad. Even if they ask for the dressing on the side, the amount of fat and sodium and all the other crap that goes in there, it's, it's astronomical. Yeah. And I, for me, as terms of fast food in general, I think it's insidious that they advertise this stuff the way that they do and call it a meal when there's nothing nutritive about this stuff at all. Yeah, 100%. And I think we do, we've come a little bit of a ways where most people are very aware of the fact that fast food is not healthy for you. But when people are busy and that's like the fastest go-to thing that they could get that kind everything else kind of takes a back seat it doesn't really matter so much it's like oh it's just this one time but most people also don't realize how often they're making those choices and there's definitely room for improvement absolutely and i know for me the beginning of i i kind of had like a sine curve up and down experience when it comes to nutrition and fitness like I, I always said like as a kid like boys grow like christmas trees right like we kind of like expand out and all of a sudden we shoot up and then you know there was a <laughs> couple more these than uh the the vertical ones but when i entered college i was probably like 160 pounds in, in good shape like you know worked out a lot but going to baruch that was a minimum like 90 minute commute and it was grueling like it was rough because i'd be going in you know in the morning during like rush hour traffic on the bus because the bus was the better option over the train. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it was just, it was so much extra stress. And I found comfort in the food options that I had available to me, right? And this was the other problem too. Like I went from three months earlier, you know, having my mom essentially make lunch for me, you know, bringing it to school. And now I'm completely in charge of of my own nutrition. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was terrible. Bagels for breakfast every day, a donut with it. Like, I mean, it was, it was really bad. And you and I have spoken about the and versus or thing before. And this was definitely like the peak and stuff. It was like going to Subway for a footlong sandwich and cookies and, and a soda yeah. and this. And so it was one of those things that like it was stressing me out subconsciously because I knew I was hurting myself in terms of the food choices I was making. But there were so many other things that were more important that this was the easiest one to just say, I'll worry about it later. And, you know, I put on a lot of weight and it took a long time to finally get rid of it. I think I told you I was mortified, but I finally hit a point, I guess it was like 2013, maybe some, somewhere thereabouts. 
where I was at like the highest weight I had ever been and I knew I needed to do a change. And all these moms at uh, Pickup were talking about the C to 5K program, the couch to 5K. Uh, and they, they had all used it, you know, uh, to, to shake off the baby weight. And I was like, you know what, whatever. If it's going to work, it's going to yeah, work. Yeah, and, yeah. and it did. And that's yeah. how I got into running, which there actually was a point where I could run 10 miles. So <laughs> if, uh, if James is listening, you know, I was in the club for a, a minute. But that was that was the kind of the end of that like really bad low period because I started to face those decisions you know and, and the habits and that's really what it is for most people like you said it's yeah it, it's what's easy what's available and it's bad enough for adults who do that but what really frustrates me is parents who use that mentality with their kids where it's chicken nuggets for dinner every night it's McDonald's it's pizza it's whatever it's junk food right there what you said earlier was you went you were in college and you went from essentially your mom making you lunch or dinner and then you were kind of in charge of it. But what's in between there is you didn't have the tools in place at 17, 18, 19 years old to roll out of, okay, I'm going to be in charge of it. Do I have the proper tools in place to make these choices to be successful? So that's why kind of having that be a part of a child's world is important. So as they get older, they have one, the confidence and two, the skills to really be able to say, oh, I'm going to make myself a meal or really the time management, right? That's the, that's really 100%. Most people that I talk to, they want to be able to make healthier choices and they want to be able to have better habits, which does take time, but mostly it's how do I fit this all in. So having that time management skill of being able to make yourself a meal and a healthy meal instead of going to McDonald's is something that hopefully as, you know, communication and just experience with my kids will help them evolve as they get older into having those built into them already. Right. And that was the biggest change for me. Uh, in terms of coming into contact with you and, and your channel was realizing that the time management portion of it, it wasn't, I guess in the back of my head, I convinced myself that it would take too much time or it would take more time to eat healthier. And I realized it was like an epiphany moment. I don't remember exactly when it was a couple months ago. And I realized I watched like some videos of, of stuff that you made and I looked at it and you had a post. It was like, just something about swapping one thing for another. And I realized I said, there's absolutely no reason for me to keep eating, like, let's say burgers twice a week, mm -hmm. right? When mm -hmm. I can just as easily swap in a lean protein instead, I can try this instead of that. And that was really that clicking moment where I, I like, I, I think it just took me a long time to own up to you yeah. know, my own poor habits with it. Yeah. Um, but, but you're right too. Like as a kid, like my mom, she was the sole cook. Like my dad made breakfast, like maybe six or seven times my entire life. So yeah. my mom, it was all her. And you didn't really think about it, it you know, in hours. Like she made dinner, she made lunch, that was it. I could have done stuff for myself in, in high school. I was just lazy. Like it was the only child thing. And, you know, like I knew how to make a sandwich. But if I said like, mom, do we have any bread? Mom, where's this? I knew sooner or later that sandwich was going to pop on a plate and I was good to go. Yeah, for sure. So, um, but I, and also I didn't want to see that in my kids, you know, and I love cooking. Like I, I never got a chance to cook growing up. I didn't really help my mom out with it. It was just something I kind of came to like when Heather and I got married, obviously like we needed food, right? We had to yeah. feed ourselves and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. And so it was something that I just kind of had a knack for and that developed into a passion. And I'm just naturally curious, I guess. So I would constantly try out different things and, you know, it just sort of built in on itself. And so I try to incorporate the kids into it, you know, like Sarah loves baking because Heather bakes, 
but I bake too and, and I cook and I try to get them into the kitchen, even mm-hmm. if we're just kind of hanging out just to keep them around it. You know, I try to drop little hints and, and tidbits and stuff here and there. And, you know, I, I think it helps. I think that the biggest thing with kids is conversation. So we definitely are not a perfect household. We still give the kids pizza and nuggets and there are definitely sports parents. Like it is tough. You know, everyone's just trying to do what they can. But I will say like for us, the kitchen is a place of like just love and music and fun and cooking is like it's all kind of one thing you know so we're usually all together and that's kind of what makes it fun and the communication of like just oh I'm making this because you know the more the more colorful foods that you eat the better they are for you you know and the kids are oh really like what oh well you know carrots are orange and things that are orange are really good for your eyes and you know kind of having those little conversation pieces throughout makes them a little bit more curious as to oh maybe I'll maybe I'll try it maybe I'll like it or just really the curiosity to ask more questions which is showing signs of like they're they're interested and that's kind of how you got to you got to reel kids in you know there's got to be a way to kind of get them interested and like I said earlier when we make it a game it's kind of like if I'm making something I don't I don't always expect my kids to eat what James and I are eating we might have a night where we're eating grilled chicken Brussels sprouts and broccoli like that might be a meal for us and for the kids especially when they were younger I don't expect them to eat on that kind of a level all the time but I will say Sometimes I will make it more kid-friendly to add in, okay, well, let's add a sweet potato. Let's cut the sweet potato in to look like french fries, you know? So that kind of, they're eating something that looks familiar to them, but it's just a little bit healthier, you know? So kind of getting on their level a little bit too. And I think you just had something yesterday even, right? It was like a graphic that I saw you post about how you approach things, right? So saying, oh, you know, orange, instead of just saying carrots are healthy for you, like giving a color. Yes. Yeah. And a lot of kids, yeah, of course, you're going to give a kid broccoli maybe five or six times and they're going to say, oh, but I don't like it. I don't like it. And in our house, it is a little bit more of, you know, we say it's more than it's just good for you. It's going to help build your muscles. You know, you're playing basketball, you're, you're playing soccer, you know, you need protein. Right. So, a lot of times too, like, I feel like there's this idea of, oh, well, I gave this to my kids and they didn't like it and like full stop. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's silly because, okay, you presented a food to them in one fashion, right? So maybe you gave them boiled or steamed broccoli. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks to, to your tips, like I wound up roasting vegetables mm-hmm. recently. And I mean, we were all so hooked on it. It was unbelievable. And so that also made me think like, there's other ways to present and to prepare things. And like, I'm sure you've heard, I think it takes like 13 times or something for a yeah. kid to be presented. Is that, is that? I think the stat I remember says it takes 11 times. That's what we, I don't know for sure if that's it. There is a stat somewhere that says it, it takes X amount of times for your brain to really know if they, if it likes something or not. So we go by that in our house. Like, oh mom, you know, I don't like carrots. Well, how many times did you try it? Was it 11? No. <laughs> and then they know, like, okay, we're going to keep trying. We're going to try a, di- a different way. Right. And different, but also different, but still healthy. Because that's a problem too, right? Like our, our go-to here in America is to deep fry everything. So oh, yeah. if, you're, if you're deep frying those carrots or broccoli or whatever, like 
that's not the same as roasting it or just yeah or even i think also too people fail to consider like what are you serving it with right like maybe it's not so much the broccoli maybe you also gave them fish and they've never had fish so they you know they're saying they don't like the broccoli but it may not be just that the word with is a very big word in our house because that's something my kids say all the time is well what are we going to have with it so sometimes we try doing some chopped vegetables like celery sticks or carrot sticks, radishes. And it's like, well, what are we going to have with it? So I bring them to the store with me. It's like, okay, we'll pick out. They make so many different dips and sauces and hummus. They have like a beet hummus that's pink. So my daughter's like, I want the pink one, you know? So it's a good way for them to kind of branch out and see what's out there and to try it. And they didn't like it plain, so they tried it with a dip. And they didn't like it with this dip, so they tried another one. And it just kind of encourages them to keep trying it. But in their head, it's fun because they get to pick it out on their own and something they're looking forward to. You know, we've used chocolate hummus as a side at dinner to dip, you know, the carrots or dip something in it and fruit too, you know, you still could have fruit with dinner. So, you know, we do that a lot with them and they think that's like the coolest thing in the world. And didn't you say recently that James thought forever that something was ice cream? Oh, yogurt. I think till he was four, we would give him just plain Greek yogurt or vanilla Greek yogurt with a little bit of honey and sprinkles on top. And we told him it was ice cream. That's so great. Until like the first time, I think the ice cream man really came around and we were like, oh. <laughs> he, he ruined it for you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. And <clears throat> the other aspect of this is that it's worth the repetition to continue to expose kids to the same foods. But realistically, it's not like every kid is going to like every single thing. And I think it's important. It sounds like you guys are pretty receptive to the feedback from your own kids, which is what I try to be here. Like, I know there are certain vegetables that my kids just don't like. Mm-hmm. Not, not across the board, but mm-hmm. each, each of them has certain things that they don't like. And so I try to minimize that. But I also don't let them not have any of it necessarily because I think that's sort of a slippery slope and it builds bad habits mm-hmm. that way too. But, you know, if Tim doesn't like carrots... Maybe he'll get a couple of pieces and he'll get more peas as an offset or whatever it is. Do yeah. you guys have that kind of approach? or? Yeah, for sure. And ki- exactly what you said, kids are different. So my son eats very differently than my daughter. And you do, you, you kind of have to respect, like, I don't like tomatoes. I'm 35 and I still don't like tomatoes. So, you know, there are going to be some things that they don't like and that's okay if they are willing to then have more of or try something else. Um, My daughter will tell you she doesn't like broccoli, but I'll eat it. So does she love it? I don't know yet, but is she still willing to eat it when I give it to her? Yeah, so I'm going to keep giving it to her. And Macy's a a strong personality. She's a little little sassy, right? Oh, yeah, she's firecracker. So, yeah, so for her, for it to break through with her is great. And it's interesting, too, because your kids are they seem like they're pretty different personality wise. And Mm -hmm. so that can be, obviously it's a benefit in a lot of ways, but it can also be a challenge. We have that here. Mm -hmm. So Jackson and Sarah are are twins two years apart. Uh, They're exactly the same in so many ways, especially where food is concerned. Mm -hmm. I remember um, taking them down to the the beef jerky place down at the outlets. Okay. And I, I think it was like a ghost pepper, whatever it was, it was some like insanely hot stuff. And it was so funny because they both wanted to try it and they both had it. And and poor Jackson, he was 
a toddler. He was maybe two. And he's like, ooh, 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 hot, but tasty, you know? <laughs> so they were willing to, like, try all kinds of crazy stuff. They, they And they were proud of it, too. They, yes. You know, the they still talk about the alligator jerky that they had and all this oh, different yeah. stuff. Then there's Tim. Tim, from day one, was a very picky eater. Mm -hmm. And at first, Heather and I thought it was our fault because we didn't introduce him early enough mm -hmm. to, you know, solid foods and stuff. I mean, I, I'm sure you, you went through with the difference between James and Maisie. Like, it was the prototypical, like, progression. So with Tim, if, God forbid, that binky fell on the floor, it's getting boiled. Oh, it's oh all yes. By the time we got to Jackson, I'm, like, wiping it off of my, my pants in the middle of, yeah, you know, talking that. to somebody Just, like, else. a little yeah. dusting. <laughs> and so, you know, so with Sarah and Jackson, they both had a much different culinary experience. I was also more confident in cooking and preparing food for them and stuff. So Tim came to it late. But... I've noticed recently that he he may be what's called a super taster. So a super taster uh, is somebody who is so attuned to different flavors and being able to like discern certain things. It's almost overwhelming for them. Right. And I because I noticed there were just certain things that he, he didn't want to have. He didn't want to eat. And he had like a, almost like a revulsion to it. And the more I looked into it, it wasn't just him. It may not be just that he's picky. There may be right. something else going on. But in terms of parents with picky eaters... I think the the key is to incorporate the kids, have them make choices, give them some agency over it, but also have limits too. So for example, like you can't just be so open-ended and say, oh, well, what do you want to have with this meal? Would you support this line of thinking in that if you give them four or five options, let's say, that are all healthy and they can choose two, it may still it may still work and, you know, they're getting something healthy, but you're still sort of in control of what they're having. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And picky eaters are tough, and you can't just give up and let them rule. Um, oh, I only eat these three things. I, I definitely support with picky eaters. It has to be a slow introduction to different things. And just like adults, like, we don't change our habits overnight. You know, we don't, we don't totally change our eating patterns and, you know, we might have a goal, but that doesn't mean like most people can't wake up and say, this is my goal. I'm going to get there. And they're on a completely straight path. Like we're human beings and we're not made to be perfect. So as adults, we make mistakes. Of course, the kids are not going to just accept everything, but I think it makes the most sense to say, well, you know, we can't just not give them anything, you know? So there are small little changes and yeah, to sort of circle back to something we, we mentioned earlier, I think it really starts at the top. And obviously that makes sense, right? Because you would think that the parents are the ones dictating the diet, but that's not always the case. I mean, for us, you, you mentioned the kitchen and dinner being a family-focused thing. That's so refreshing to hear because sometimes I feel like I'm on an island with this kind of thing. Because mm -hmm. Heather and I have the same approach. We may not all eat at the exact same time at the table, but there are certain rules about what can and cannot happen during dinner so there is no tv mm -hmm. there are no devices there's nothing if the kids want to read at dinner because sometimes it's tough to squeeze that in and, and they have uh mandatory minimum reading sentences yeah. that we uh, ascribe but i remember one time i went out to the diner i took the kids out and we looked over it and it was we were in a booth but it was a family of five at one of those like round tables or mm -hmm. whatever all five people had devices. The parents both had phones. One other kid had a phone like a teenager. But then the littler ones who had to have been around James and Maisie's ages had iPads. Like, and the food was there. Like this was, it wasn't like they were just waiting for stuff to come. Right. Blows my mind. Yeah. I would assume you have some strong feelings about that. Yeah. I mean, we have always just been mealtime is 
family time. And typically that's the only time most families are able to spend even a short amount of time together all at one table. So we always have had stricter, you know, we're going to wait. Like if dad doesn't get, you know, James used to commute and not get in the house until 6.15, but that's the time we were going to wait to eat dinner so we could be together. And even toys, like not even like, we've always been no iPads with mealtime, always no TVs, nothing like that. But even when the kids are little, sometimes, you know, they would want to bring their Barbies and action figures. And we would say, okay, prop them up. They could watch, (laughs) but we're not, we're not going to play. And to me, a big part of that is having, again, that line of communication. If your kids are on their phones, there's no way they're paying attention to what they're eating, but who's at the table and what the conversation's like. And that's a skill too, being able to talk to each other and have that almost like a comfortable feeling that being able to share kids at some point, kids, you know, they get older and they kind of like shut down and close off. And to me, that's my way of like kind of keeping those doors open for the kids is like, that's kind of when we talk the most dinner time and then bedtime, bedtime, usually things always spill out at the end of the night. But, you know, dinner time's always kind of been like a, like a special time that, yeah, I would never, I would never want that to get tainted with technology, especially now where it's everywhere. It's like the one time where you actually can put things away and like see each other. Yeah, no, absolutely. For I, I noticed for us though, our like big talking times are, it used to be on the way to or from practices, games, et cetera. Cause as you know, you know, we're yeah, all over all the place over. with all that. So it's sort of built into that. But now I've noticed that uh, maybe the ride's a little too comfortable because now they're falling asleep yeah. wherever we're going. <laughs> but I like the idea of having forced family time, it's, I mean, it's kind of sad that it has to be forced, right? But the problem is that there really aren't a lot of good communication skills that people have nowadays. I, I promised Heather that I wasn't going to get on the soapbox. So I, it's just one foot on, I promise. <laughs> but I feel like people in general lack the self-confidence is one portion of it, but really just the resolve and the toolkit necessary to, to manage conflict, right? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. you see it playing out throughout society and a number of venues in a number of ways, but to focus just specifically on parenting and then food and kids, there are so many people that I've met that compliment us on how quote unquote well-behaved our kids are. And I appreciate that. But at the same time, like, and, and then they ask, well, like, oh, what's your secret? Or why are your kids so well-behaved? And why are mine doing this? And it's so crazy to me because it just, it seems obvious. It's like, well, every time your kid is asking for your phone or the iPad, you're giving it to them. Like it should be a reward. It shouldn't be, you know, the focus of their life, especially when it comes to eating and especially when it comes to communicating, you know, and Mm -hmm. it's almost like this weird idea that the kids sort of run the show. Mm -hmm. And for me, I look at, when I came into this job, right, I gave up a career in, in education or at least postponed it to parent. And so when I came into this position, I looked at it as a job and I said, okay, if if this is a business, right, we're, you know, at different levels of the hierarchy. But if we look at it in the same way businesses run, there are certain roles that people have to play and responsibilities. And so if I'm the boss or one of the bosses, then I need to be the one that's setting the rules and modeling good behavior and everything. It shouldn't be the other way around, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And I think people are too concerned with like their 
being liked by their kids or they see bad behavior. So where, where it's connected to food, right? A kid will say they, they refuse to eat dinner unless they have the iPad. And so these people are caving and giving the iPads instead of waiting it out. Like that's, that, that's the funniest one to me is like, <laughs> I don't think it's, you know, child abuse to like say, well, you know what, then if, if you're not going to have dinner without the iPad, then maybe you're not going to have dinner. Right. Tonight. Yeah. We'll, we'll, yeah, we'll, yeah, yeah. You're going to have a bigger breakfast in the morning or, or whatever. It's not like a hunger strike or something, you know, like that yeah. the kid's going to be emaciated after a week of not eating. Like it's, yep. it's more a power struggle. And I think it's our responsibility as parents to win that struggle, whether it's with parenting behavior or especially nutrition. Like we need to be the ones that are setting the diets and all that stuff. So w- one of the biggest struggles in our house is, and schedules get a little crazy too, because of just, we have a practice at a certain time. So we're kind of eating dinner now at a weird time. So a lot of times it's like, okay, well, the kids want need need to eat dinner. So we make dinner and they eat maybe half of it. And then later on, we are so accustomed, I think, in our society where like the kids get a snack for everything. And so they go to baseball, they get a snack after, but then they get home and their normal routine is, well, before bed, I get a snack. So they ate half their dinner and had a snack after wherever sporting event we were at, but now we're home and it's part of their normal routine to get ready for bed, have a snack and go to bed. And then here we are, it's like, well, their whole day was, their whole mealtime was really snacks, you know? So we have, that's kind of where we struggle, whereas like we are creating their habits, you know, they're not responsible for their own habits because exactly what you said, we're the one that's kind of giving them the yes or no. So if we're telling them, okay, yeah, you could have a snack after baseball game at eight o'clock, but then at 8.30, you're coming home and hungry and you need to, like, we're kind of instilling those. So we need to have some sort of boundaries. So we, and we have set those, you know, like if you're not going to eat your dinner, when you come home from baseball, you need to finish dinner before you go ahead and get your snack. And then there's, some rules and guidelines with bedtime snacks too. It's like we, it's not always perfect. We definitely have nights where things slip away, but on the norm, it's like pick your fruit and pick your snack. You know, we're not like a no household. Like we don't typically say, no, you cannot have this ever, but it's all about like limiting those things and kind of setting those like, well, we're going to make the rules. You know, if you want to have a couple M&Ms, fine, that's great, but you're also going to have it with apple slices. And that was the biggest change that we made a couple of months ago, again, because of your channel, the idea of, so vegetables Mm -hmm. was the black hole for us. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I feel like that's probably the number one struggle for most people. I I, I agree. I think that people probably eat too much, you know, fatty foods and don't really consider lean proteins or other stuff. But, but by and large, if there's anything that's omitted with uh, reckless abandon, Mm -hmm. it's got to be the veggies. Yeah, for sure. And so I realized that if we just arbitrarily just started adding vegetables, like no matter no matter what it was, because I have, you know, a stock set of certain things that I make. And mm-hmm. so whatever I make, like it's always the same group of foods. Right. And I realized like there's no reason like if we're making, if Heather's making chicken cutlets, let's say, to just add three vegetables with it. It's going to fill us up quicker. We're not going to think twice about it. It's oh, not yeah. if we just do it. And that, and that made such a difference. There was no pushback from the kids whatsoever. In fact, they actually started to have more of a, an opinion because they would ask for, hey, can we do this mm-hmm. one or that one? And it was great. Uh, the other thing I just wanted to circle back on in terms of snacking is I think the biggest issue with snacking in general is when kids eat out of boredom. And I think that yeah. happens with a lot of adults, especially working people. Oh, yeah. But for, for the kids, like, I now listen, 
Jackson is like a dynamo. He's, you know, a nuclear reactor there. Like he's constantly pumping out energy. So he's probably legitimately hungry. But I did notice that it just so happened after his like hour of video games or whatever. Yeah. He goes right for the snacks. Mm -hmm. And so we talked about it recently and I said, you shouldn't eat just because you don't know what else to do with yourself. And those conversations I think are important because my goal, just to, to, again, to, to reiterate like the whole idea of this as a job, my goal for the three kids that I'm raising is to have them come out of this experience of childhood to be fully functioning, like Mm -hmm. fully armed and equipped adults. Mm -hmm. And the only way you do that, the only way you achieve that is through constant communication, like you mentioned earlier, and building solid habits. And it's kind of funny that we started off with that because those, I think, are the two like most (laughs) important, uh, two most important things. What advice would you have as a nutritionist for adults who maybe have bad habits and haven't yet even recognized it? So that's a big one. I would say take a couple days and snap pictures of what you're eating. And it, you know, if you can't, don't put, you know, so much pressure, you know, there's a lot of like, you know, the diet world is, is crazy. So there's a lot of negative of like tracking everything you're eating and weighing everything. Like, you know, you don't need to obsess over it, but just for three or four days, take pictures of everything that you're eating And then at the end, you know, go through, write it down if you want to, or just scroll through your pictures. And I guarantee you a lot of people are surprised of how much of one thing they're eating or the opposite is a lot of times people, I'm like, oh, you know, do you you like vegetables? Oh, I love vegetables. Do you eat them frequently? Yes, I do. Most people do not eat the amount of vegetables that are suggested. And so and it's shocking to most people because, you know, they have a big salad for lunch and they're in their mind, they're like, I just ate all these vegetables. But when you look at the rest of your day, it's not incorporated anywhere else. So that's a big one. I think if, if people were to just, if they wanted to kind of take a deep dive into some of their habits around food and nutrition and like diet specifics, I think that's the, the biggest thing that you could do is journal or take some photos and really take a look at what you're eating. And and I guarantee there's something in there that you'll find that you can improve for sure. One of the biggest changes that I made, again, because of of some of the suggestions, not just on your channels, but also in, you know, in-person conversations and stuff was taking that assessment. I didn't necessarily take pictures, but I did look at, you know, Mm -hmm. when we were eating, like where, where are some areas that I can improve upon, especially as a sports parent, you know, how crazy it can be. I mean, there are some days that I could grab Jack at three 30. We're not home until nine 30. Yep. And I realized yet again, the excuse making that I was doing and you helped me to reconsider my position on it. And so we were never big leftovers people Mm -hmm. like there were certain things that i would make that would have leftovers but now to make something intentionally to make more of i I think not that i have any tips to to offer you know (laughs) that's why you're here but a a tip that i could offer as a beneficiary of your your wisdom and, and expertise here is to make more of something that's healthy when you have the time to cook and then use that for, you know, your, your second or third night dinner when you don't have the time, when it's just a reheat thing. Because 100%. there's no reason whatsoever. It's a time saver. That's just what it is. But it takes the same amount of time to throw chicky nuggies into the, oh, the oven oh, yes. as it does to reheat, you know, uh, brown rice or, or you guys like quinoa yep. and, you know, grilled chicken breast or whatever it happens to be with a vegetable side. Well, also, I have to share this because it's also how you structure your day. And I 
guilty. I wake up in the mornings and sometimes like I sit on the couch and I'll have coffee and sometimes I read or sometimes I just sit in peace and quiet and enjoy that, which is perfectly fine. And I think, you know, there are some days where that's warranted, but also I knew I was going to be spending the other day exactly what you mentioned before, picking the kids up, quick window of homework, and we had to get to the baseball field, probably wasn't going to get home till 8.30. So instead of waking up and sitting on the couch for an hour, sipping my coffee, I grilled chicken. I sat outside. It was just as peaceful as sitting and doing nothing, but I was actually being productive and I was able to squeeze something in that if I waited to after school, there was going to be no way. And we'd probably be in that position where, okay, like, do you want to go grab wraps from the store or, you know, we'll get cold cuts or something. And those are things that I typically would try and limit. But to get that in so early in the morning, you have such a rewarding feeling that it just kind of sets the tone from the rest of your day, which is awesome. Absolutely. And I noticed too, that some people speaking of the the full day scope of your nutrition and stuff, you can derail the entire day by one poor decision made in the morning. And it's crazy to think of people who have breakfast sandwiches every day, like that's their breakfast, the amount of, again, fat and calories and stuff, or worse, I know this is going to be an unpopular thing given where we live, but like people who load their coffee up with sugar and cream, like it's, it boggles my mind, like, because there's no consideration as to the long-term impact. It falls back to the habit. They do it every day. So they don't think about it. Uh, I feel like there's still so much more ground that we could cover here. So hopefully we can get you back on for a, a part two episode for sure. to, to hit up some other topics because I know I have very strong opinions about things like fad diets, about sugar drinks mm-hmm. at sporting events and stuff. So uh, what, what do you think? Maybe we'll get in another, another uh, episode sometime? Yeah, I think we're going to have to. Awesome. Well, thank you so much to, to Danny Cherick for coming by. And again, your channels on Instagram and Facebook are? Yeah, you can uh, follow me at Food Feels Growth on Instagram and Facebook. And yeah, share, follow some of the things I'm cooking and some advice and ways to make things, you know, easier for busy parents. And do you, and are you taking clients in terms of the nutrition uh, coach position or? Yeah, yeah. So if you really are a person struggling with habits or mindset or looking for a way to kind of get back on track, I'm definitely taking, currently taking clients. Yep. Awesome. Well, I, I know personally a testimonial here is I'm definitely the beneficiary of your advice, your expertise. And it's, it's been a trickle down effect. Uh, even Heather and the kids, we're all eating healthier since we encountered you in your channel. So I can't thank you enough for that. Thanks so much. I, I hope that anybody listening to the podcast will at least explore what you have to offer because it really, it it was literally life-changing. I'm, I'm down almost 10 pounds just from some of the decisions that I've made. I've gotten back to. Wow. That's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. And it's, and they were simple changes. It was really more facing myself and just, you know, poor decisions and stuff, but, uh, you were definitely the catalyst for that. And, and not just you, but you and your family, we may not all be able to run 10 miles, (laughs) seven minute miles, you know, but, uh, but it's you guys are don't just talk the talk you walk the walk and i think that's great and so yeah hopefully we can get back together again and, and maybe check out the worlds of like fad dieting and quote-unquote electrolyte drinks and stuff on the sidelines sports drinks yeah so much to say so but I'm, um, I'm in <laughs> all right well thanks again and thank you everybody who's listening wherever and whenever you are <laughs>